Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Over the years as a pastor of a local church, I've often been asked to address one of the many ill winds that are blowing into the face of the church. Now, I'm using the expression ill winds because in Ephesians 4 verse 14, Paul says of immature believers, those who are blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. You know, some of these ill winds are very easy to identify. For instance, Satanism. It doesn't take much to realize that this is abhorrent and horrible and clearly indicated as being evil. But other things which parade under, um, I guess, a title of modern Gnosticism, but harder to identify and, and more subtle. You know, you might be surprised at some of the things that I regard as malevolent winds blowing into the church. And the reason why you might be surprised is because I see some of the things that on the face of which look fine and okay and maybe just an ism or a little bit sectarian but in fact are, I believe, highly dangerous. You see, truth parades often as truth but error parades itself as 80% truth. Now, that's the problem. A lot of the things that we read about and hear about sound good. You say, oh, that sounds like the truth. But when you dig down a little bit, you see that it contains 20% of poison. If you swallow that poison, you die. So, these are the things that I regard as problematic in the church. They're just some of them. Calvinism. I can see some eyebrows raising straight away. You see, I believe that Calvinism has a fatal confusion between the sovereign sovereignty and, and God's predeterminism. They seem to have a key assumption that God can only truly be sovereign if he determines all things at all times. And so then the claim is made, so if he doesn't determine all things at all time, i.e. predeterminism, then he cannot really be God, i.e. sovereignty. So it positions these two as combating each other, and in that lies a fatal error. Secondly, modern Gnosticism. Well, we, we find today the ancient Gnosticism of the early Christian churches parading under various headings and flying under various flags. But it's very complex and convoluted systems of thought. But invariably, they're based around some form of reincarnation and some form of trying to guess what happens in the life between lives, and I say between lives because they promote reincarnation, which in itself is a fatal error. But then to try and come along and say, ah, oh, between these lives, between one life and another, we have this existence where we are ranked and we have various orders and we come back to earth in order to go up in the, the order of things and, until we are lost in the absolute divine essence of the so-called God. That's a real problem in today's society. Thirdly, Roman Catholicism. Why? Because it has an exclusive system of religious orders and rankings and rites and rituals. And why? Because it actually presents itself as the only true church. And that is highly problematical. Second last in my short list, 
an updated dominionism parading under the catch-all new apostolic reformation. Now, one day I'm going to have to do a full article on the new apostolic reformation. Lastly, something that has infiltrated a huge percentage of the church in one way or another. Extreme word of faithism. Extreme word of faith, prosperity gospel. Together with its latest bastard child, hypergrace. <laughs> now when Corin joins us just now for the Q&A, I know that she's going to probe me extensively on the things I've just said. So I'm going to leave elaborations until then, so just be a little bit patient. Uh, yes, and I also know I need to hold up my hand right now and say, yeah, I know I'm making some radical claims and I'm using complex and loaded language, but hopefully all becomes clear as we work through the question and answers together just now. Let me rather make one simple yet very bold statement. It's this. To stand against the winds of false teaching and practice, we need to stand together around the central figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's worth repeating. To stand against the winds of false teaching and practice, we need to stand together around the central figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul makes a series of connected points. And three of these connected points are as follows. He starts off in Ephesians 4 verses 4 and 6 to say, let me just read you the actual quote, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One body. Now, this is not a reference to one particular denominational group or one particular lo local church or mega church group or whatever it is, but one body. It's the centrality of the church, how important the church is. There's one spirit-infused, Jesus-led and headed church. Second point that Paul makes, and he makes this in verses 11 to 13. He talks about the ascended Lord Jesus Christ as giving gifts to the church. And he writes, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach full unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So there's one church, millions across the face that is, even more in heaven already, and Jesus has given to this one church all that we need for faith and life to become mature. He has gifted the church. And then the third point he makes in verses 14 to 16, <coughs> excuse me again, <coughs> he writes, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So let me put this in the simplest possible terms. Jesus is the source of truth and he is the central pillar of the church. The church, P, 
pillar around which we gather like flesh gathers around a skeleton of a living body. So if we center ourselves on Jesus, that is what he said, what he did and who he is, then together around him we will become mature enough to withstand even the strongest winds of deceitful false teaching. So two keys, the centrality of Jesus and the importance of the church. If we are going to stand against false doctrine, the centrality of Jesus and the church are all important. You know, I'm often reluctant to speak about these ill winds that are blowing through. Because, you see, I truly believe that we need to know Jesus and the communal strength of his church rather than know about the foulness of the winds. Quite shortly after I joined the full-time ministry, so we're going back over 30 years, uh, a woman approached me and she asked me, please won't you preach a series of sermons on, I think it was Satanism at the time, because Satanism then and now still is a plague in our many of our schools. So uh, I thought about that and I thought, yeah, maybe that's needed, you know. So I went back home and I sat down and I started to compile a list of all the negative things, all the ill winds that one could address. Wow, what a long list it turned out to be. And then I looked at this thing and said to myself, you know what, if I preached on one of these each Sunday, just took one Sunday to develop each one, and it would probably take more than one Sunday, but just one Sunday per everyone in the list, I would be preaching on these negatives exclusively for about two years. And I'm not prepared to do that. I want to speak about the centrality of Jesus, who He is, His Lordship, His glory, so that as we learn to know Him, we will become mature within the context of the church and thus be able to identify and counter these ill winds as and when they blow. So, we need to focus on Jesus. We need to be part of His church. And we need to benefit from the gifts that He has given to us as members of His body, His church. And this is how we stand against even the strongest gales of deception. Okay, Corin's just joined us. Hi, Corin. Hey. Yeah. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> Good grief, we're into February already. <laughs> you know, we have spoken since then, but I don't think we've done a truth talk this year yet. So, Happy New Year to everyone else out there. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, we want to. We were talking about standing together around Jesus and the the ill winds that were, f- if the the, the the flowing around and through the churches yes. and around us and that sort of thing. And you started off by saying that truth often presents itself as truth, but but error parades itself right. as eighty percent truth. And for me, that was such a powerful statement because everything I've ever heard that is a good lie is based on a kernel of truth and that's what makes it so darn difficult to to, to try and discern which is lies and which are truth. Mm. And I want to come back to that in the very, very end. Of course. Um, but first of all, uh, if you don't mind, I'd just like to sort of go through the the various religions and beliefs that you did cover because okay. I don't know if there's anyone else out there who read the post and went, okay, I've heard of the new apostolic reformation, gone to the mouse over, had a look at the definition and thought, I'm still not quite enlightened. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you just to lo- lower your, your um, <laughs> theological tone slightly and give me a bit of explanation about 
these certain things and also why you chose them. You know, wh why are these, the, the five things that you mention, um, you consider sure. to be ill winds, okay. whereas some other things, um, you know, sort of offshoots of Christianity are mostly good, but have a bit of okay. nastiness within them. Uh, okay, well, let me just answer that part of it yeah. quite simply. I just was thinking about uh, the ones that are so obvious that most people know about them. And I quoted one example, Satanism. I mean, everybody has heard of Satanism. Everybody knows it's foul. So, you know, no surprises there. So I thought it would be better, because we have a short time together, mm. to rather talk about things that might raise a few eyebrows. People might think, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't have considered that to be a problem. But for me, they certainly are. So that's that's why I chose those particular ones. But what makes this a problem? Because, you know, if you look at, for example, John 14, it's the only sort of re the major requirement is, you know, believing in Jesus. No one goes to Father but, but through him and accepting him as your personal savior. And, uh, you know, like I said, I don't know much about these other things that you go into, but if, if any of them have that, what makes them so foul? How do we know that they don't also have validity? Okay, well, in, in terms of the ones I've picked, that's a good question, a good observation, because Calvinism, for instance, they believe passionately and fervently in salvation by faith through Christ Jesus. No question mm. about that. Modern Gnosticism, not at all. Jesus doesn't feature. I've just sped read two books uh, coming out of the New Age kind of thinking. Of course on, you have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but recently, because somebody was asking me questions. Yeah. And... Um, I got them both up on my screen, I downloaded them both, and I did a quick search to see when the name of Jesus appeared. Mm. And it appeared once in, in book one in a purely negative connotation, and not wow. at all in the other book. So wow. you see, no, they don't believe in, in salvation through Jesus. New Apostolic <laughs> Reformation, they definitely do. Yeah. And the Word of Faith, they definitely do. And Hypergrace definitely do believe in Jesus as the way to salvation. So it isn't a question of, gosh, will, will these things then disqualify us from going to heaven? That's not the issue. The issue is, will they pollute our way of living and thinking while we're here on earth? Okay. And will it take us off track so that we get involved in things which are really not priority things within God's dispensation and God's kingdom? Okay. And that can lead to some very negative results. You know, we can get sidetracked, we can get disillusioned, we can, we can run the risk of falling away even when we become disheartened because yes. of these things. Yes. So, so that's really more the issue for certainly all but modern Gnosticism okay. uh, of, of among the ones that I've picked. Okay, so you're not saying that these are not a way to get to know God, they just present problems. <laughs> y yes, I am, and they constitute what Paul called, you know, winds of teaching and false yeah. doctrine that blow us this way and blow us that way. Yeah, but I mean, and I know we're not going to go into Catholicism, but there are, I'm sure, some passionate, proper Christians that have just grown up in the Catholic faith, but they, you know, there's, there's nothing evil or wicked or wrong about them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, Catholicism is a good case study, but we have spoken about it in previous sessions, mm. so just, just briefly... Uh, the Roman Catholic Church definitely declares that salvation is through Christ Jesus. Mm. But the problem is that they set Mary as a co-redemptor yeah. yeah. for mankind. Yeah. And, and they do that for all the key doctrines. So mm. they don't actually take away. They just add another one to which 
essentially, the way I understand it, invalidates the truth claim. You know, ah, truth is exclusively lot, truth. Plus a lot of man-made rules and laws and rituals and yes, but they certainly the they certainly would be horrified if anybody said you don't believe that. Yeah. That, you know, Jesus is the savior. Of course they do. Okay. Okay. So so Calvinism. Yeah. You said. <laughs> You said, as as if to de- explain yourself somehow. You said, <laughs> God's so- sovereignty versus predeterminism. <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know, so, Corinne, in self-defence, I've got to tell you, I did give a disclaimer. I did say, yes, I know I'm using some some big words, etc. But I'm doing it because we're going to talk about it. Yes, no, absolutely. And, and I'll and have a as chance was, to explain it. Yeah. As I was as I was listening to you to that, I was, I was thinking, yes, we are going to talk about it. I don't know what on <laughs> earth this is. <laughs> All right. Okay, so Calvinism. Okay, so Calvinism, really the the main issue that you have to look at there is that it's a very tight intellectual system that that kind of is like a closed loop mm. and it's all based around God's sovereignty yeah. and God's predetermining all things okay so here's the, the the heart of it now often when you have a debate with Calvinists as I have had uh, you'll find them saying oh you know no no we just disagree with you guys who, who believe in free will of man and man hasn't got free will because God is sovereign mm. but but that's not really the debate the mm. debate's about the nature and character and purpose of God. Mm. That, that's where the thing really, uh, where the tacky hits the tar. Okay. Predeterminism is just a fancy word for saying God predetermines all things that will happen. Okay. The fact that I'm using this tone of voice right now is because he's decided that I should do that right now. Mm. The fact that I'm now, as I am, going to have a quick sip of water. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Has been, <laughs> has been predetermined. You see, yeah. that is that is extreme, meticulous, as they call it, predeterminism. So, predeterminism is that God has determined it, but then it takes away the free will of man. Is that is that what you're saying? Because he does, he did, um, you, you know, if he knows all things, he must have known, for example, what would happen with with Adam and Eve and the big apple debacle. Sure, <laughs> you know, but he obviously gave man free will. Oh, do they believe that man does not have free will then? Yeah, but you see, again, that's a bit of a straw man because I don't know of any serious theologian who believes that man has totally free will. Nobody believes that. You know, we're all born into different race groups. We're born yeah. into different families, different times in history, different yeah. economic situations. We're subject to different influences. No, we don't have total free will. There's only one person who has that, and that's God himself. Oh, but we have a certain amount we can do yes, to love God that's or the not issue. love him. Yes, God has given a meaningful degree of discretion so that we will grow to be sons and daughters and not robots. Mm. That's essentially what it is. But total free will, no, that's a straw man. We're not arguing that. So the the Calvinists believe that, no, no, we're robots. Well, no, they wouldn't say that, but that is essentially the, the bottom line of the whole argument is that well, again, they, they make no distinction between God's foreknowledge and mm. God's foredetermination. So okay. a theologian like myself would say, no, I can understand how God knows all things. He's outside of our time. Yeah. It's the beginning and the end. Yeah. He can see the outcome of any eventuality. Yeah. 
But that for me does not necessarily imply that he's therefore caused it. Mm, in fact, that exactly. for me is an illogical statement. Yeah. But the Calvinists will be, most Calvinists, now of course I'm, I'm painting a yeah, broad brush here, totally throwing is. them all, and of course there's many grades, shades of grey in this thing. I'm so sure, yeah. I, I have to take a yeah, side well, here. For the sake of, of keeping Clarity. us under 78 hours, you know, <laughs> just to yeah. use a, br- a broad brush here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and the Calvinists would say, no, if God really knows how things are going to turn out, then means he caused them. Otherwise, he wouldn't know. That's the hmm. argument. They then go even further to say, and if he didn't cause everything to happen, then how can he truly be God? Huh. So wow. they confuse sovereignty. So yeah, the, to okay. be sovereign, they say God must control everything. And I think that for me, that's another illogical statement. Sure. Wow. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. Um, no. And quite a sad way to live, because what's the point? Well, yeah, of course, the, the, there's many, you know, that have an argument for all these things. But um, sure. maybe it would help the listeners if I just quickly sketched out the five main points of what Calvinism is. Okay. It comes under the heading of TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, which, funny enough, it wasn't Calvinists who came up with that. It was the people who were remonstrating against Calvinism. Mm, I still never trusted a, a smart acronym. <laughs> no, it's too, it's too neat, huh? Yeah. So the T in tulip stands for total depravity. So they yeah. say a man is unable to save himself, which is true. Yeah. But they then go further and say he can't even think or do anything good. Sure. So that means God has got to determine it for him and cause him to do it because he's incapable. Sure. Then the second is you, unconditional election, which leads from the first one. Because man is incapable, dead in sin. He's unable to initiate a relationship with God. Therefore, somewhere in eternal past, as they call it, God elected certain people to salvation. So he decided beforehand that person X will be saved and person Y won't be. And if you person Y, sorry for you. Well, there are so many implications of this Mm. thing. The L stands for limited atonement. And it flows again logically. Because God has determined that certain people should be saved, he therefore determined also that Christ Jesus should only die for them, <laughs> for the elect alone. Wow. So that's why it's a limited atonement. Yeah. Then the I stands for irresistible grace. <laughs> and the argument here is for those whom God elected, he draws to himself irresistibly. After all, if he's decided that I'm going to get saved, I've got no choice in the matter. Therefore, he will irresistibly draw me. I've got to wind up wow. where he wants me to be. And then P is the perseverance of the saints, where here again is the final clincher in the argument which says, look, if God has elected who he wants to save and drawn to himself them, then they can never fall away, obviously, because he's already determined that they're going to be saved. So that is the system known as as Calvinism. Wow. I mean, not to sound, okay, I'm going to sound slightly flippant here, let me admit it. But it's basically like chaining someone up in the basement and saying, you must love me, you must love me. And when they eventually go, I love you, then you, ah, grand. Yeah, and it also also ultimately, although they would deny this, but it's an an inescapable conclusion of logic. It also means that God is also the author of evil. Yeah, exactly. And and that really makes him the devil, doesn't it? So, so it has so many implications. I wish we had, uh, you know, as you said earlier, several hours to talk <laughs> yeah. about. Anyway, that's a, push on. A, brief, a brief introduction, yeah. Excellent. Gnosticism, is it anything to do with agnostics? 
Yeah, well, the word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word which means knowledge. Yeah, and agnostic is without knowledge. Yes, uh, it's all about um, hidden knowledge, stuff that is is veiled and that if if you want to be saved, although they would never use that word, then you have to understand the secrets of this knowledge that's being kept from most people but then you're let into the system and then you have you find your your way through to eternity by knowing stuff so that's Gnosticism but it also it also believes that God is not personal so God is this sort of essence or this divine influence somewhere in fact everywhere or whatever yeah, sort of, yeah. but that the um, that there are different emanations of him. So, and there's different stepping stones between this eminence and ourselves. So, the the most extreme version of that that's very popular today is based on Hindu reincarnation. And there's this yes. two darn books I'd wade through <laughs> in order to talk to somebody about this. And, and it's all about how you know we have these different lives. Yeah. Uh, and in between the two lives, what happens, you see? I mean, you die now today, and then you get reborn again, let's say, in a year's time. What happens in the meanwhile? Mm. And they've got this fanciful thing that comes from, I don't know where, Cloud Cuckoo Land, mm. about how we then, uh, you know, go through the ranks, you know. Mm. So every time we learn stuff on Earth, we then go back into this wonderful place where we are now are, are of a higher order and a higher ranking, and eventually Somehow we just... remember just the pertinent points... And all that. So, you know, that Gnosticism, it's all about enlightenment and transformation obtained through some esoteric secret knowledge system. Those people sound fairly annoying to speak to. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, you'd be surprised how pervasive that kind of thinking has has become in our modern society. I suppose, yeah. Okay, New Apostolic Reformation. Okay. So, what's happened is that there's always been uh, around in the church a thing called dispensationalism. There's always been a thing around the church for an awful long time, which is called premillennialism. So, in short, <laughs> another huge word. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That makes it much easier, yes. <laughs> in short, what it says is this that Jesus one day is going to come back. We all believe that. Mm. But he's going to come back to earth and rule on earth for a thousand years. Okay. Now, I don't actually believe the Bible teaches that, but that's by the by for, for mm. this session. And not really. I mean, that's hardly a breaking, a make it or break it point, surely. N- no. But then okay. they are then saying, therefore the church's job is actually to prepare the way for that. So our task, they say, is to so control all aspects of society that society becomes totally Christ-centered. So that Jesus comes for a perfect world, a perfect church. And again, there's many shades of this. So I'm, you know, I'm really throwing everybody into a fairly extreme basket on this one. All for all of them, yeah. Yeah, so this was very popular, this kind of thinking, before the Second World War. And then it became obvious that, hello, ding, ding, the world is not getting better. Yeah, I was just going to say, then Jesus is never going to come back, because how on earth are we going to make everyone no, perfect? No, it just gets worse, in fact. Anyone you know? perfect. And One if person we think, perfect. <laughs> if we think it's been getting better since the nasty, the nasty Nazi holocaust, think <laughs> again, we've had Rwanda, yeah. we've had um, yeah. all sorts of terrible yeah. things happening, even even in ISIS. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right exactly. in front of our eyes. No, the world's not getting better, I'm afraid. So no. um, a new bunch of folk coming out of the renewal movement, the charismatic church largely, have now come up with what they call a new apostolic reformation, mm. where they're basically saying, look here, the church needs to structure itself. Uh, God is restoring to the church apostles and prophets, and he's putting it everything under this kind of system, and we must all rally around these uh, apostolic figures. And uh, with their guidance and the prophetic unction of the prophets that come with them, then we will infiltrate what they call the seven mountains of culture. Education, so let's start with family, family, education, government, business, media, arts and sport. Wow. And then once the church, the Christians, have now got all of this under our thumbs, you know, you know, there's like yeah. a Christian prime minister in every country yeah. and all the rest of it, then Jesus will say, okay, guys, you've done a fabulous job. <laughs> I'll come now. <laughs> I'll, I'll come now. And again, you can understand some of the uh, implications of that. Yeah. But it goes further than that because they've taken it a step further. They've now merged that thinking which actually predates the Second World War and they've brought it in to include a highly charismatic doctrine of strategic level spiritual warfare where they identify the demonic powers over different areas and bind mm. them and all that sort of stuff. A thing called identification repentance where you say, and we've seen this in this country a lot. So for instance, let's say men, generally speaking, have been abusing women, generally speaking. Yeah. So this means some men have abused some women. Yeah. And it's really not all men, and it's a yeah. minority. Yeah. So what we do is we'll go and have a service somewhere where a woman has been raped, and we'll take responsibility for it. We say, oh, we repent. We, we're so sorry. We stand on behalf of all men who have, con you know, honestly. Wow. Yep. And then there's the binding of these strong demonic forces and all that, yeah. breaking of generational curses. So they've kind of taken a very old concept, post-millennialism, mm. and they've mixed it with uh, a lot of really uh, new age kind of thinking which has infiltrated the church and try to put it together in, in a, a highly structured um, thing which loosely called the New Apostolic Reformation. That's, that's so interesting to me because, you know, again, I wish we had more time, but like you were saying, the 80% of lies is truth. And it does say that you, your father's... You, you, your generations are cursed from your father's father to your father to you or something. I mean, you can, I'm sure, find, tell me the verse. And the yeah, don't start me on that, sweetheart, <laughs> because that is one for me. That What you're just quoting is uh, one of the, for me, most abused scriptures in yeah. the Bible and most badly understood. But, um, yeah. I, yeah, I'm, but not, I can I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. I could hole. see how the apostolic reformation could use that for, for that, though. Yes, they do, but they're, yeah. not ex they're not exclusive in this. Many people do, and I think they're misguided in that. Yeah. Okay, now, the last one, I, I wasn't sure if it was two different things or, or one thing, which is the extreme word of faith, prosperity gospel, and yeah. hypergrace. Is that the same thing, or is it two different? Well, <laughs> hypergrace, uh, I've called it the bastard child of <laughs> the word of faith. It's kind of flown out of that. And again, I must make a disclaimer. You know, the word of faith is a, a, a big umbrella. Yeah. So there are many moderate folk, with, relatively moderate folk within the uh, yeah. faith movement. Yeah. 
and um, a lot of them have moderated their thinking and uh, have, have even taken issue with some of their more extreme brothers and sisters, etc. Mm. But in its in its essential uh, extreme form, it says, God wants everybody wealthy, everybody healthy. You, he wants you to have everything there is in this life. And all you have to do is realize this, that he's actually put it in your hand already, and declare it as truth, hmm. and reach out and grab it. Wow. So that's why it's it's derisively known as the name it and claim it gospel. Mm, it's like that book, that promise or whatever it's called. If you oh, believe it been... and envision it, then so it will be. Yeah, I, I, that was merely one version of, yeah. of this. But I mean, that, that essentially, and, it's, you know, and again, I'm oversimplifying. And, yeah. and that's an extreme version. Hmm. Now, hypergrace is really taught by people who were steeped in the Word of Faith movement. So it's kind of given birth to hypergrace. And hypergrace teaches this that uh, everything's about God's grace. Now, God's grace is really important. See, so they've got this 80% truth right there. Mm. But it then goes on to say that, you know, God cannot see anything wrong with you. and You can't possibly do anything that will offend Him. Ooh. Because why? He's already forgiven your future sins along with your past sins. Wow. So if you go and do something, yeah, just murder a couple of people. Why not? What, whatever it is. Yeah. And then you don't even have to apologize. You don't have to repent because repenting wow. is like slapping God in the face. You see, because of what He's already done on the cross. It leads to a a, a form of licentious Christianity that was common in the early church. Mm. Now, the practitioners of this will tell will tell you, no, 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 no. We do not advocate bad living. And they don't. Mm. They don't preach, hey, listen, guys, do whatever you like. They say, if we really realize who we are in Christ, then we won't want to do these things. It's just not true. There's nothing in Scripture which indicates that, and certainly Mm. in real life, I'm afraid. How easy it would be if everything was just totally taken away. Oh, it would be, it would literally be heaven on earth if every (laughs) believer, let alone anybody else, actually lived this pure and absolute life that required no regret, yeah. no repentance, no forgiveness. Yeah. Sure. So again, I'm oversimplifying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like the most fun out of all of them, but still, I can see how you could get to a point where you're like, "Hang on, this this can't be right." You know, I'm no. murdering people. Here's the Bible. This can't be right. <laughs> no. You know? And again, it leads to a very sloppy sort of understanding of 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 God's nature and character. It means he he. Uh, you know, he just overlooks everything. Mm. And he doesn't even see the wrong things you do. Well, that makes him uh, kind of blind. Yeah. yeah well, no, no, God cool. is not an old man walking with a stick and dark glasses on. Yeah, exactly. Okay, to, we've already run out of time, but I want to just ask you now, the, obviously I, like, I, I love to end with the practical, <laughs> which is that if you find yourself either you have been raised in one of these or any kind of religion or belief system or whatever and that's always what you've known or you get pulled into something because they've got a real good sales pitch or whatever how do you know and and, and let's say you're not particularly you know you, you, you don't hear God speaking to you particularly loudly all the time how do you know when that's 80% truth Right. Um, stands and when, when it's over that, you know, when, when, when most of it is falsehood, how, how can I you tell? You. 
Well, the the place to, is is the where to start is the important thing, and Jesus, as always, is the foundation and the capstone and the acid test. Mm. All of these aberrations all point to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I can be wealthy. I can be healthy. I can mm. have the secret knowledge. I don't need to be forgiven, etc. Oh, and and truth is all about Jesus. Yeah. Focus on Him. Yeah. See what He wants. See what His life is. Emulate Him, and so on. So Jesus is the acid test. And so, oh. therefore, just by starting with the Gospels, and you don't yeah. end with the Gospels. Just starting with the Gospels, yeah. you you can just read them and say, now this is God who is has come as a human being and said, Here I am, know me, feel me, hear me, Mm. touch me, Mm. I am your God. Mm. So we can look at what he said, what he did, and how he displays the character, nature, and purpose of the triune Godhead. Mm. And we won't be led astray with that. Then we read the rest of the scriptures, and we uh, have a reference back to this. Second Mm. thing is, it's the truth is all about a relationship with him who is truth. Yeah. So truth is not a disembodied esoteric concept. Yeah, truth is embodied in a person. Yeah. And we find truth by relating to that person. And that person mm. is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way to start. And from there, build out a knowledge of the scriptures. So it's Jesus, the living word, mm. within the context of the Bible, the written word of God. Mm. And within those two contexts, we're going to quickly identify. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Then she said that, you know, most of them didn't even mention Jesus. That makes total sense. Yep. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Dad. Okay, daughter of mine. <laughs> we'll say goodbye to you for a bit and goodbye to our, our, our one or two listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, one or two listeners. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth is